You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Horn Frogs, a Monday edition. TCU Horn Frogs defeated Kansas 31 to 28 in a barn burner of a football game. Um, I, I will say, you know, most years I'd be pretty upset about that. On Saturday, at the end of it, I just mo- mostly felt relief one, and also I was like, "Good for you guys! Like, good for good for the players for hanging in there and finding a way to get it done." In not ideal circumstances, uh, we'll talk about those circumstances and kind of what's going on as this unfolds. But Matt, I wanted to start today. Um, Jerry Kill after the game Saturday night had some glowing praise for Max Duggan. Um, I was told, so did Gary Patterson. I was in a screenshot of the tweet that he sent Saturday. <laughs> right. We were not able to see it first. <laughs> we personally weren't able to see it about, uh, hey, I better not hear anybody saying bad things about Max. Here's what he did. And dude has his flaws. I don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback next season. If I had to put money on it right now, I'd probably say no. Uh, but that's all going to play itself out in the coming months. But he did go out there yesterday or Saturday, if you're listening to this Monday, with a broken foot, uh, a broken bone in his foot, excuse me. And he's done that a couple times this season, and he gutted it out. And he made some throws, and he had some tough runs. And, like, you, you can never question the dude's toughness and his will to win. And that's, that's what I think has kept him in the job for so long is because he does do that at, at a very high level. Yeah, you know, regardless of what happens against Iowa State and regardless of, of, of the way Max Duggan's career ends at TCU, what that looks like, I, to your point, I have no idea. Um, regardless of that, he's going to be remembered as a, as a fierce competitor, as a guy who – it sounds like I'm eulogizing him or it sounds like I think that he's going to transfer. I, I, I don't necessarily think that I don't know, but like what I mean is like his legacy, part of his legacy, a big part of his legacy um, for, you know, now, now going on three years as a starting quarterback at TCU is going to be one of a guy who, yeah, was a relentless competitor, was super tough, was a gamer, made big plays in moments when it counted Um and yeah, never questioned the guy's toughness. Um, came through in a big moment where like they obviously could not run the kind of game plan that they wanted to run. They ran the ball 49 times on Saturday. They threw the ball 16 times. I don't think that's what um, TCU necessarily wants to be. Uh, certainly not in a close game. You know, if they're running somebody out of the gym, then, then yeah, like I, I think they definitely want to be like, let's run the ball and just, let's just get out of this game. Um, but that Saturday against Kansas was competitive. It was a game where they had to, they had to make, they had to get crucial first downs when they needed it. They had to get scores when they needed it. And um, so I, but like, they're so banged up, you know, they're, you know, Kendra Miller's hurt. Zach Evans is out. Quentin Johnson was out. You know, you got, you know, key linemen out. You got key defenders out. Like there's just like, they're, they're such a mash unit right now. And so we're actually not going to come in after, after sitting out two weeks Um to your point, not hundred percent broken bone in his foot and gut it out, make just crucial plays, both with his arm and with his feet. Um, it was cool. It was cool to see. And he deserves all the credit in the world for that. Um, 
yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I'm glad that Jerry Kill said that on Saturday. I think, I think Max Duggan deserves that praise. You know, he's get, he gets, a, he gets a lot of, you know, jokes made about him sometimes by us. And sometimes those are justified. Sometimes those might be a little mean, but um, no, I mean, he's, he's been a really, really fun player to watch in his time at TCU. And um, it was cool to get him, see him back on the field and, and, and make some big plays in some big moments. Another guy that played well yesterday. Um, and it, the way the game started for him was not great, but he, he bounced back. Darius Davis had a breakout game, um, had a huge day running the ball, had some big receptions, had a huge reception on third and nine on the field goal drive that uh, TCU took the ball down and won on. And, like, I was thinking about this the other day. Even though TCU's obsession with speed and, like, smaller guys has in some ways really hurt the program over the past few years, I do love that we always have a dude like uh, like Darius that's just a punt returner, a slot guy, a game breaker type of guy. Um, and he was fantastic yesterday as well. It's nice to see him break out. He's He's one of the many players on offense that you just – on paper before the season, you're like, here we go, Darius Davis, you know, year three, like he's going to break out. He can do so many things and it hasn't really materialized, but it, it did at least for a fleeting moment against Kansas on, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. He stepped up in a big, in a big way and they needed it, right? Like just like TCU was so thin at quarterback and, and, and Max Duggan, despite the injury comes in and makes, and makes a big plays. Without Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis comes in and just becomes, he's like, all right, cool. I'll be the number one receiver this week. He's the only receiver on T, uh, for TCU who caught more than one pass on Saturday, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Caught six balls for 103 yards. Nobody else had more than one catch all day. And it was clear that he and, he and Max obviously have a rapport. They're comfortable with one another. And he made some big plays. And he also made some big plays in the run game. Obviously had the 43-yard. The rushing touchdown which was first TCU's first score of the game and so um yeah it was a really nice to see and it was really nice to see him bounce back from the early muff punt he's had some issues with with just ball security on both on um you know when they try and get him on those end arounds and then also on on punt on punt returns he's had some issues with ball security this season and so to, to see him have that mistake not let it um cascade and, and snowball into something worse but bounce back from it and make and make like be the player of the game in a lot of respects was really really cool and uh yeah i agree with you like he's a guy who if they can you know uh, the the new coaching staff coming in for 22 if they can find some ways to you know get him the ball in space and utilize that speed that he has he can be a dangerous weapon um and and get him the ball a little bit more consistently rather than him only getting like three touches a game once on an end around and, and, you know, maybe getting him more rhythm like he had on Saturday lets him, uh, lets him deliver some more results for you. But it was really nice to see. I mean, he's, you know, especially after that early, that early muff, um, I was really worried. Um, you know, he reminds me, this is, a, this is an aside. I, the, the comparison I was thinking of on Saturday as I was, I was just thinking about the way he was playing. He's a little Sky Dawson. He's a, re- he's a little Sky Dawson-ish. A little mm-hmm. Sky Dawson-ish in that, like, I think he is uh, – Sky Dawson had the same deal. Like, sometimes he would just, like, randomly drop punts. 
he would just have a little bit of a boneheaded play on special teams. And you're like, Oh my gosh. And then he would break open a huge play, a, br- a big return, a big catch. And you're like, Oh yes, this is why this guy's on the field. This is the talent that he has and he can flash. And he feels that way to me. Um, and it was just nice. Like I said, um, he's a guy who I just, I've been away to your point. I've been waiting to see him um, get a chance to make some bigger plays this season. And in, in a moment where they desperately needed him to do that, he did it. And that was awesome. Before we transition to, TCU and their future and potential coaching staff um, heading this way in the next couple of weeks. What is your confidence level? So the TCU plays Iowa State on Black Friday uh, and they still have a chance. If they win, they go to a bowl game. Um, I don't really know what to make of Iowa State. They're pretty similar to TCU in that they had a million people coming back. They had high expectations. Um, they're six and five, which is not too far off from TCU's record. I think they're a much better football team, but they haven't really found ways to win. They've lost some silly games. Uh, what's your confidence level in, in this team pulling off an upset in Ames, Iowa on Friday night? Not great. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. Um, I think Iowa State's defense is, is good enough to really frustrate TCU's offense if TCU isn't – if they don't get some, some pieces back healthy, like, right, like it – like. I just don't think they can run the ball 40 times against Iowa state and they expect to win. Like they got to be able to throw the ball a little bit better. And you know, if they don't have Quentin Johnston out there, if they're not able to pass block effectively, which they still can't really do regardless Mm -hmm. of who the quarterback is, um, then they can be in for, for a long day against, against the cycle. So I'm not optimistic. um, But on the flip side, Iowa state's kind of, if you want to, if you want to be the optimist, Iowa state, kind of eliminated, not kind of, they are eliminated from big 12 conference uh, championship game contention. And they're sitting here at six and five. There's chatter about Matt Campbell, maybe taking another job somewhere. I don't, not like anywhere specific, but his names just keep getting attached to different jobs, whether that's TCU, um, Penn state. If, if that opens all, it seems like James Franklin staying pit, staying put, um, you know, it, Matt Campbell's name is going to get attached to a bunch of things. And so like, is that an environment where Iowa State comes out a little flat against a TCU team and maybe doesn't take them super seriously? It's last game of the season. They're not playing for anything big. Um, that's the optimist's view of, like, could TCU turn something in? The, the, the flip side of that, the problem is that, you know, I'm not sure, you know, TCU's coaching coaches are in the process of figuring out what their next jobs are going to look like. You, you know, there's, you know, TCU, if they can get, if the coaches and players can all rally around like, Hey, we got a chance to get, make a bowl game still. Um, and we got a chance to, to finish the season on a high note. Um, then maybe you make something happen. I just don't think the matchups really favor um, TCU in this game. They don't. I mean, I think even a distracted Brees Hall could run for 200 yards uh, if things, you know, go the right way for him. And uh, as much as I've enjoyed the story of new college football, darling, um Jared Casey I will say giving up a touchdown to him and a couple of receptions yesterday I don't think that bodes well for what Charlie Kolar could do uh for Iowa State against DCU coming up in a couple of days but we'll see how that plays out um as far as the future goes it appears barring something crazy Sonny Dykes is going to be the next TCU head football coach and um, I'll be honest, I'm a little underwhelmed by that. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was a time where I 
felt pretty good about Billy Napier being the next head coach at TCU, and that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Uh, but I do think this could work. And I, I saw a lot of doom and gloom TCU fans on Saturday because SMU got destroyed by Cincinnati. I don't really care about that. Like, I, I think Cincinnati is a elite team. Like, they might be in the college football playoff. Uh, and SMU kind of knows the writing's on the wall with, with a new coaching staff coming in potentially next year. But I do have a concern about this, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Matt. Um, you, you mentioned the O-line earlier. Again, like, they got shoved around up front by Kansas. Offensive line struggled the block. Defensive line got, you know, moved around. And, and my worry is if this team's biggest problem is up front, like, physicality, that's not the first thing I think about when I think about Sonny Dykes. I, I believe he can bring some things to the table that could help the program out. But that's probably not number one on my list if I'm thinking about Sonny Dykes. So, um, can I mean, can he do that? How how big of a concern is that for you? The fact that that's not exactly what he's known for, and that appears to be the biggest glaring hole on on your roster right now. Yeah, and we talked about this last week as well. The when we were talking about like, hey, is this like a full rebuild situation? And my my response there was no. But I do think if there is a position group or a couple position groups where that might be the case, it is uh, along the offensive and defensive lines. And so yeah, I hear you. I, I hear you there. I do think that's a little bit of a concern. You know, you look at SMU this season under Sunny under Sunny Dykes. You know, they're not. They're a good rushing team when they need to be, but they're not great. They don't like necessarily control the line of scrimmage, right? Um, you know, they're what they're 87th in the country in EPA per per rush, EPA, um, you know, uh, expected points added, and um, so like they're fine. They're not awesome. Um, uh, in ter- I, I think the what Sonny Dykes would do in that situation is like he would he would install an offense that would you know would be designed to get the ball out quickly out of the quarterback's hands quickly where he's not getting just mauled on every play would be what you hope there. And then Sunday Dex has shown um, an ability to um, supplement the roster where needed. Uh, he does a really good job mining the transfer portal. He does a really good job mining the transfer portal for guys with DFW ties when he's been at SMU, you know, guys who maybe are looking for a change of scenery from another program. And he says, Hey, come play close to home and get a chance to, you know, get some starting reps and, and, and get your draft stock up, all of that. And so I think if you're looking for the optimist view of what uh, Sunny Dykes could do um, with, with the TCU um, offensive line, particularly in pass protection, I think that's your model, right? Is, is he comes in and the hope is that um, he puts in a scheme that's not going to let the quarterback get beat up as much as maybe they have been under, uh, under Doug Meacham and Jerry Kill. And he also uh, makes some moves in the transfer portal to kind of supplement the, the, the guys that they have at that position right now. And you use that as a little bit of a stopgap while you recruit and develop um, uh, some guys long-term. Um, and I think that can work, um, but yeah, I, I, it's not as, um, to your point, it's not as flashy. It's not as, it doesn't feel as good or as, as, as much of a, of a sure thing as if they had managed to swing Napier, who's, whole identity is we're going to bully other teams. We're going to control the line of scrimmage. We're going to line up with, you know, two and three tight ends sometimes and just, and just like hit you in the mouth a lot. 
and um, that's not going to be their identity um, under Sunny Dykes, which is fine. Uh, that you know, I'm not super interested in like exact. I'm not married to a particular offensive identity. My my concern is whether or not it's going to work. And I will say that for Sunny Dykes, his offensive uh, system that he has installed every stop he's been at has worked. TCU's best offense, last really good offense, came when Sunny Dykes was an analyst on TCU staff in 2017. And I, I think that's worth noting. I think it is too. Um, so Jamie Plunkett, who writes for Frogs of War, he on Twitter, he's at Frog Preacher. He's a good follow, does good work for that site. Um, he tweeted this out yesterday afternoon. During his time at SMU, if today's score against Cincy holds, which it did, they lost. Sonny Dykes is 7-13 and 13 against teams 500 or better and 3-7 and seven against top 25 opponents, which is a totally fair criticism. Now, one thing I would say, I think there's some important context here. One, Sonny's done something in SMU that nobody else has really been able to do post-death penalty. Like June Jones had them working for a little bit, and then it fell back to earth. Uh, Chad Morris got them to a bowl game before taking the Arkansas job found out that was not a good move by Arkansas. Um, so that, that's one thing. I think also he's in his fourth season there, so I don't really feel like – I don't think the Sonny Dykes era at SMU, if he kept going, would I, – I just feel like it's unfair to say, like, this would be their season. You know, maybe in year six or seven they're better. Like, they continue to improve, and they're at a point where they're competing for an American Conference championship or whatever. Um, but Matt, I guess in, in a perfect world for TCU, best case scenario, sort of lay out why or how you think this hire could work or, you know, what Sonny brings to the table. You mentioned the offensive identity, the offensive system that's been proven at every stop, what he does well that could translate and, uh, get this TCU team to a, to a higher level than we've seen in the past couple of seasons. I think Sonny Dykes, and let me be clear about this. Sonny Dykes was not my first choice. I, I threw out his name a couple times here on the podcast and, and on Twitter. I think he was a viable option. I think he's a solid choice. He was my first choice. When the, when, when, when the news came out that TC was moving on from Gary, um, like day one of the search, he probably would have been my fourth pick, right? Uh, I probably would have had Billy Napier, Jeff Trailer, and Jamie Chadwell ahead of him. Um, and then among the options that TCU really zeroed in on, Napier, Dykes, Matt Campbell, um, Tony Elliott, and, and Deion Sanders, um, in some order, Dykes would have been my second choice out of the group after Napier, right? So he wasn't my first choice, is my point. So I'm not some like Sonny Dykes uh, shill by any means. I will say to your, uh, the optimist would tell you, Sonny Dykes has done things at SMU over the last four years, to your point, that has never been done. Like, I think you bring up Chad Morris is really good, because it is a really key point. Chad Morris got SMU to eight wins one time in the American, and it was viewed as so impressive, given the historical context of what SMU has been since the death penalty, he parlayed it into an SEC job. He parlayed it into the Arkansas job. That's mind-bending to me. That's how hard this job was viewed to be. And he has surpassed that level to the point where he got to 10 wins in, 20, in 2019. Were it not for COVID cancellations in 2020, probably would have gotten them to eight or nine wins again. And then 
Um, they play Tulsa this week. If they beat Tulsa on Saturday, they'll get to nine wins. So that, so again, pandemic circumstances, uh, if you account for those, if, if you had had a normal season last year, they probably would be in the midst of their third nine win season or higher in a, in a row, which is unfathomable given the historical context of SMU. And I think that's worth noting. I think the critique that Jamie levies is, is a fair one, which is that he hasn't beaten their best, the, their best opponents. I think that's entirely fair. And that's a good conversation to have. Here's a question though. Is there not value? And again, I'm not sitting here saying that Dykes was my, was my number one choice, but I do think there is value in just being able to count on beating the teams you're supposed to beat, which is again, something that TCU has not done over the last four years, right? TCU should on a talent, just on talent alone, should be able to reasonably expect to beat the teams like West Virginia and Kansas State and Iowa State and Oklahoma State and Texas Tech on a pretty consistent basis. Not, not sweep those teams every single year, but you should expect to be able to line up and just have a better team than those teams and win more often than not. And TCU has not done that. And so if Sonny Dykes is going to come in and you can be able to rely on the fact that you're going to beat West Virginia more often than not, Kansas State more often than not, Texas Tech and Iowa State more often than not, then guess what? You're going to be finishing up in the top half of the conference, uh, which is what you should be doing, right? Like, let's, let's get to that level first. Let's, let's worry about that before you worry about beating Oklahoma, because guess what? Gary Patterson only beat Oklahoma one time in Big 12 play in 10 years, right? So that's not really what I'm concerned about. Um, I'm can, can you get the, the, the program to a level of consistency? So I think there is a reason to think based on that, um, that, you know, all the things again, that TCU has not done well, not beating the teams you're supposed to beat. Sonny Dykes has done that at SMU, not having a consistent or effective offensive philosophy. Sonny Dykes has done that at SMU, um, not really knowing how to navigate NIL and the transfer portal and branding and marketing your program and your players. Sonny Dykes has done that at SMU. Um, he checks off all these boxes that TCU, that have just been areas of weakness for TCU over the last few years. Um, do I think automatically all of that will translate? I don't know. And the fact is we don't know. But I think based on the body of work at SMU, um, that's what Jeremiah Donati and the, and, and, the, and the power that be at TCU are banking on, is that those things that he has done at SMU are gonna translate and improve in those areas that have been huge areas of weakness for TCU. And that the things that have been areas of weakness for Sonny at SMU, losing to those top level opponents, the defense is not being great. Um, you know, maybe not having as, maybe not being like a gangbusters recruiter and recruiting staff. I think the Donati and, and TCU are banking on, hey, at a, in a power conference program with TCU, with a higher ceiling in recruiting, more institutional support, you can, um, um, his ceiling in all of those areas is gonna be higher. And then he can, he, can, he can fix those things. Again, I'm not sitting here saying that that's what I think definitely will happen, but I think there's an argument to be made to think that those things can happen. And I'm, I'm willing to, again, he was my fourth choice. He was my fourth choice. I'm willing to keep an open mind about it and see what results he produces. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see an offense that makes sense. I'm excited to see consistent quarterback play. 
I'm excited to see uh, if TCU can consistently beat the teams that it's, that, that it's quote unquote supposed to beat. If you can do those things, I'm willing to play ball. I'm willing to keep an open mind. Another point I'd like to make, and then I want to end the pod with a fun game. Some things that I, I'm excited about with Sonny, potentially. These are not necessarily in the bag, and I think you're going to have to fight for them, but this could, this could be a good thing. TCU associate head coach and recruiting coordinator Rashad Samples, who is a rising star in the industry. His father, Reginald, is a longtime coach at Duncanville. He's got the Metroplex figured out pretty well. Um, again, he's going to have options, but I like that idea. TCU offense coordinator Garrett Riley. Cool. Yeah. I'm all in for the Riley family being involved in TCU football. Um, even though I know he has some history with uh, TCU fans, TCU strength and conditioning coach Kaz Kazadi. He's done a good job <laughs> at the different places that he's been, and he's willing to fight opposing fans, which is, which is kind of a cool thing. You want it just for anyone who doesn't know, because because this was this was actually new to me um, this week. This is a fun new thing that I learned. You want to give that context to people just real quick? Yeah, so Kaz Kazadi uh, used to be the strength and conditioning coach at Baylor, and Baylor people have a really weird relationship with him, like, I don't know how to explain it. Kaz is a uh, magnetic personality and sort of became a media darling when he was in Waco. And like Baylor fans still to this day, if you talk to them, they'll be like, man, I just wish, I just wish we could have held on to Kaz in that, in that strength and conditioning role. (laughs) Um, But anyway, TCU dusted Baylor in Fort Worth. Uh, I don't remember what year that was. I guess it was 2011. I think it was 2011. Um, just destroyed. It, it would have been 2011 was RG3's coming out party, so it probably was 2010. Okay, 2010. Um, so they destroyed RG3 and company, and they're walking. The Baylor players are walking up the tunnel, and there are some TCU fans that are shouting "Good job, Big 12" as they come into the tunnel. Um, and Kaz took offense, and he jumped up and like tried to get in the stands to fight these people, and you know they had to break it up. Um, but anyway, he's a good strength and conditioning coach. I don't know if he'll end up taking the job. Um, and then the other thing you talked about, yes, his defenses, Sonny's defenses have been bad. But one thing I'd like people to consider, if you say, like, if you save some money hiring Sonny Dykes because you don't have to pay him, you know, upwards of $10 million, then go get a really good defensive coordinator. Like, shell out some of that money for a really good DC say, no, we don't want Jim Levitt here. Like we're going to go find somebody to run the defense and he's going to be good. Um, do, like, do what Oklahoma did without his Grinch. Like just go get someone who can do that. I think that's, that's a possible thing. What I, what I would propose to you, Matt, and here's how we'll close the pot. I think there's, I hope there's multiple people that will stay on the staff, but you get to choose one TCU coach to keep on the new staff. Um, you get to pick one TCU, one current TCU coach to keep on staff. Who is the person that you're selecting to keep on this coaching staff? Uh, um, I think Malcolm Kelly. I think Malcolm Kelly. I, it would either be Malcolm Kelly or or Paul Gonzalez. I think. I think Malcolm Kelly. I, I, I know I've, you know, this is, this is a pro Paul Gonzalez podcast, or at least I'm a pro 
pro Paul Gonzalez guest host on the podcast. Um, but I think to your point, like if you're going to go out and get a, a, a new DC, um, the possibility of like some conflicting, it, it might be good to have a clean break from the Gary Patterson era in terms of defense. And maybe you, you revisit the idea of bringing Paul back on staff later. But Malcolm Kelly, um, because of his ability as a recruiter, um, helping TCU land guys like Quentin Johnston, like Quincy Brown. Um, that's, that's a very, and, um, yeah, just the results that that position group has put together on the field. The drops are concerning. I, I, I acknowledge that. And so that's my one pause with him. Um, but in general, no, I, I think, I think, I think I'd go with Malcolm, Malcolm Kelly, um, and keep in and, um, see if you can, I think what he can do recruiting wise within a Sonny Dykes offense and be able to sell recruits on like, Hey, come play in this offense. You're going to catch a a bunch of passes and they're going to put up 50 points a game. That's something you can sell to this wealth of skill talent that you have in, in Texas. And I think that would be uh, a dynamic combination. So I think Malcolm Kelly is my, my pick. Kelly, Paul Gonzalez, and, and Brian Applewhite are the three that you think about, I think. But, but Kelly is my pick. Yeah, that's good. I probably would land on Kelly too. But man, Gonzalez is, is, a, is a tough, would be a tough guy to part with. I hope they all three stay on staff as you sort of laid out there. I think, right. I, I think Gonzalez would be, would, be, would be good. And I think... It, it goes counter what you were, you were pitching, which is the idea of like, go drop big money yeah. on a DC. But I think that we, and I think we talked about this in a recent pod. Um, I think there is merit to the idea of, do you consider bringing Paul Gonzalez back and letting him be the DC and letting him be the, the play call on defense and seeing what that, what that looks like? Because whether you talk to Gary Patterson, other people in the industry, like everyone, like you're talking about with samples, people refer to Paul Gonzalez as kind of, at least heading into the season, we're referring to him as a rising star. And he's a guy who at the FBS level has only ever coached under Gary Patterson. So if you do want to keep continuity in terms of scheme and culture on defense, he's a, he's a great pick. Um, yeah, I think all three of those guys are valuable in terms of recruiting and in terms of what they bring on the field as well. Those would be the top three picks that I would that I would, I would go with if they, if they keep anybody. And, and, I, and by all accounts, I, I would think that they will, they will try to keep anywhere between one and three of those guys, and we'll see what happens. All right, next week we'll be on here talking about the Heart of Dallas Bowl that TCU's going to be playing in, <laughs> and, uh, and most likely Sonny Dykes is head coach of the TCU Horn Frogs. We'll see what, what happens between now and then. We're going to find Jim. out what happens. We are. We're going to find out. Um, I'm excited for that bowl game against an eight and four Mac team. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. Hey man, if they can, I kind of don't care what happens in the bowl game. And I think it's an interesting dynamic. This is one hour off on a tangent, but it, I think it's an interesting dynamic because like, do you accept a bowl invite? And then if so, like who coaches, like, is it Jerry kill Sonny Dykes when he took the SMU job, he, he jumped in and, and, and coached a game, coached their bowl game that year after Chad Morris left, I don't think that's necessarily a good idea, but he's done it before. Um, or does Jerry Kill stick around for a little while longer? Can they, can they cobble together a staff that can, that can game, game plan for that many practices and, and, and a game against, yeah, like an eight and four Mac team? I don't know. Um, but I, regardless of what would happen in that game, if you could finish the regular season with a road win on the road uh, uh, in Ames against a pretty good Iowa State team, a team that's probably better than the record says they are, 
um, that'd be a really cool way to end the regular season. Um, so I'd be excited about it and I kind of wouldn't care what, what bowl game they'd be playing in. Um, but it'd be fun. I'd be excited about it too. Carry Jerry kill off on your shoulders next Friday after you get that big dub. Absolutely. Uh, that'll do it for Lockdown Horn Frogs. We're part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.